Yes, so we have time for the talk and you have already been informed that this is going to be recorded. So you don't need to worry about making notes or so. I'd like to speak now a bit more on forgiveness, what it is and why it is so important. So what do we mean by forgiveness? One way of saying it is forgiveness as acknowledging the harms of others leniently without thoughts of further revenge. That's how a Taiwanese uh, philosopher Chiantilin formulates it. And if we want to include self-forgiveness, which of course we should, this would mean similarly acknowledging the harm we have done ourselves without condemning ourselves, without hating ourselves. And forgiveness is really an expression of kindness towards a person, be it another person, be it ourselves, just to accept a human being in spite of their deficiencies, in spite of their wrongdoing. It is the capacity to let go of our thoughts of retaliation, aggression, accusations against someone, but not, you know, out of blindness or naivety, but really out of kindness, compassion, wisdom, out of our understanding that resentment or grudge will not help us in any way. It doesn't offer us a way forward, does it? So forgiveness is really this capacity to let go of our sorrow, of pain, of something of the past, so that we can release the heart and rediscover the freshness of this moment and move on with our life with less burden. Now, in terms of mental factors, you know, the Buddhist mental factors, forgiveness is a form of patience. So we would put it under Kanti, patience, forbearance, tolerance, or forgiveness. Yeah. And Kanti, patience, is one of the 10 paramis, the so-called perfections. So it is really seen as a very noble quality, a quality that needs to be cultivated and perfected by practitioners such as us. And while patience, Kanti, is more general and applies to all kinds of difficult, unpleasant experiences, you know, coldness, mosquitoes, etc. Forgiveness is about our relationships to human beings. And it is the ability to remain calm and steady, even in the face of annoying people, even when others get angry, not ourselves to fall into anger, into hatred, judgment, not to go into revenge, but to remain in peace or if we have fallen into anger and reactivity, to regain the inner peace, maybe at a later point, to somehow come to terms with something, to come to some closure. And this is of course not easy as we all know, right? Because forgiveness is exactly about those difficult situations in life where we do feel pain, where we do feel hurt, unseen, attacked, judged, criticized, 
ignored, exhausted. It is exactly in those challenging moments that we need the strength and the capacity of forgiveness. It is not in the moments where everything is fine and we are enjoying a pleasant time with our friends. In the Bhagavad Gita it says, if you want to see the brave, look to those who can return love for hatred. If you want to see the heroic, look to those who can forgive. Forgiveness is strong enough not to respond to hatred with hatred, to harm with more harm. Forgiveness is big enough to see the bigger picture, you know. It is, it is a perspective that is much vaster and deeper than the pain and the hurt of the moment. And it can embrace a situation with wise understanding, with gentleness, with kindness. So forgiveness is clearly not a sign of weakness. Yeah, it is not the cowardice of someone who doesn't dare to say no or to stand up for something and just chooses to stay quiet because that's more convenient. Forgiveness doesn't deny or ignore at all that which is unskillful, wrong, harmful. It doesn't condone it. It doesn't collude with the unwholesome. And, you know, forgiveness, we could say, is really the mark of a strong mind and heart. Mahatma Gandhi once said, the weak can never forgive. Forgiveness is the attribute of the strong. And it really takes a lot of inner strength and composure to be able to forgive someone who has treated us or still treats us badly or just not very kind, who has been mean to us, you know. But at the same time, to forgive someone is also the path to more freedom. It is incredibly liberating. It sets us free. It frees our heart mind from unwholesome mind states like anger, like resentment. And through this, it really allows us to direct our energy into more useful directions. There is this very famous verse or the verses from the Dhammapada, probably you have heard them. He abused me, attacked me, defeated me, robbed me. For those carrying on like this, hatred, does not end. She abused me, attacked me, defeated me, robbed me. For those not carrying on like this, hatred ends. So not harboring thoughts of blame and accusations is what leads to the end of hatred. And on the other hand, when there is no forgiveness, we know that, you know, the mind holding on to some story, some issue, just, you know, we just keep turning the same thoughts over about this person or that situation, yesterday or 10 years ago, accusations, blame, critique, judgments, thoughts of revenge, fantasies of making them pay, defeating them. 
does that sound familiar? Or maybe you are free from that, right? And you know, emotionally, maybe there is a strong feeling of anger, judgmentalism, hardness. We feel very rigid, tense. We feel maybe offended, aggressive. Maybe we become bitter, sarcastic, or we feel wounded or shameful, unworthy, victimized, sad. So it's like either we go into a fight mode, going against the person who has hurt us, seeking revenge, or we go into the position of the victim. We drown in feelings of pain, of hurt. At times we might go into self-pity also and get stuck in a sense of, poor me, feel helpless, feel unable to do anything about the situation. Whatever it is, when we're not able to move through such feelings and at some point come back to some balance, it can happen that we carry them around with us for a long time. Sometimes even adults can still hold some grudge against their siblings with whom they grew up 50 years ago even if they are barely in touch with them anymore, but it's still an inner reality for them. On Thursday, I was in town here in Zurich, and at the tram stop, I saw a young woman carrying a bag on which it said, my emotional baggage. And that made me laugh because it reminded me how we all carry around our emotional baggage, don't we? What the burden, an unnecessary burden that weighs us down. And still it is often quite difficult to put it down. Not being able to forgive is actually very painful. It is like inflicting pain to ourselves over and over. And yet at times we do feel incapable to forgive something because it was too painful, too intense or maybe it is still too fresh. I find it personally very interesting to watch my mind in those moments. It feels like this is justified anger. This is justified resentment. If you treat me badly, I have all the right in the world to get upset or angry with you. So there is something oddly satisfying about being in this state of grudge, of accusation. There is a certain assertiveness in not forgiving, asserting my position, myself. And it's good, you know, if we just notice the sense of self that is being bolstered up through the refusal to let go of a pain. It's good to see how we create an identity around being the wounded one, to be the accuser, the plaintiff. So if you yourself have such a situation in your life, see if you can investigate that, that sense of self. Maybe just notice how it arises, how it is being strengthened. What do I gain from not forgiving the other person? Of course, one disadvantage of being so much caught in our own pain is that it makes us insensitive to the other person, their pain, their vulnerability. 
we lock ourselves into a state of self-centeredness where it is all about my story, my wounds, not taking into account that from the other person's perspective, maybe things might look differently. Now, as much as we might feel like we need to keep up the fight, as much as we might feel this is justified, it's really important that we see how the inability to forgive is actually painful. It is a state of suffering. It's a very tense state. It takes a lot of energy. And what makes it worse, while we are suffering, the other person who has done something to us might not care at all about us. They might not even notice our pain. They might just live their own life, go about doing their own stuff, you know, ignoring our pain, our accusations. And sometimes we read about those tragic cases where people have tried to get the attention by resorting to violence because no one was taking them seriously. No one was listening to them. So such an escalation is a horrible potential of resentment, of the lack of forgiveness, of letting go. Luckily, there are also those situations where someone who has hurt us does acknowledge their wrongdoing, their lack of care or respect, where they apologize. And maybe in these cases, it should be easier for us to say, okay, I accept your apology. Let's leave this behind and make a fresh start. But in any case, whether the other person does apologize to us or not, when we're not able to forgive, this hurts ourselves. And it puts a huge strain on our relationships. And as I said, sometimes it can escalate into a bigger conflict. So really, the only meaningful way to stop this whole dynamic is to take responsibility for our own mind and to forgive. Tupten Chodron, she's a nun in the Tibetan tradition, says, to heal from our pain, there is no other alternative but to let go of our anger and forgive others. Forgiving simply means that we stop tying up our life's energy in being angry at a person. It does not mean saying their behavior was acceptable. We can still deem certain behavior to be wrong, injurious or inappropriate. Forgiving also doesn't mean being naive, letting others manipulate us or ignoring problems. End of the quote. So as Tupten Children points out, forgiveness is in our own best interest. By forgiving, we stop wasting our energy and time in an unproductive way, and we take the reins back. We get out of the hole in which we were stuck and we take charge of the situation. Because if we don't, it means we are still tied to this person, to this situation and we make ourselves dependent on them we actually disempower ourselves and also what she mentions 
to forgive does not imply that we can't or shouldn't do anything about unskillful behavior. It doesn't mean that we ignore problems. Forgiveness is about protecting our own mind, our heart. It is an inner work. And the question what to do externally when harm has been done needs to be dealt with separately. So it might be needed to put someone into prison who has committed a crime. And this can be done, or it would be wonderful if it were done, in the spirit that we also do it for their own sake, to stop them from creating more suffering for themselves and others. Sometimes we might need to end a relationship, a friendship or a work relationship, because we realize that we need to take care of ourselves while at the same time not harboring any ill will towards that person. You know, there is this saying, sometimes you might need to throw someone out of your life so that you don't need to throw them out of your heart. So we keep the person in our heart. We stay in relationship with the person while still responding wisely to their actions. This is the Dalai Lama. Where the wrong action is concerned, it may be necessary to take appropriate counteraction to stop it. Toward the actor or the person, you can choose not to develop anger and hatred. This is where the power of forgiveness lies, not losing sight of the humanity of the person while responding to the wrong with clarity and firmness. That is such an important distinction between the person, the human being, and their behavior. Now, I have mostly spoken about forgiving others, but for many people, the biggest pain lies in their inability to forgive themselves. And you know, we all, without ex exception, we all have committed unskillful things in the past in words, in deeds. This is normal. Unless you are a fully enlightened being, um, it's normal for us. But the question is, how do we hold those wrongful actions? Do we just get stuck in a deep feeling of shame, of worthlessness over something we did? Do we maybe even feel downright bad because of something that was maybe not really wise or not very kind. And that is, again, just such a painful state, a state of deep suffering, a state of being stuck. And also here, we are not saying that one shouldn't acknowledge one's wrongdoings. We can and we should feel remorse about our wrong actions. But from a Dharma view, there is simply no point in wallowing, wallowing in self-hatred and shame. What has been done has been done. Yeah, we cannot go back and change the past. So what is much more helpful when we have committed wrong actions is to feel remorse. And remorse being very different from guilt or shame. 
Remorse means we feel and acknowledge the harm that has come from our behavior, but without condemning ourselves in our whole being. So again, this distinction between the person and the action. So as I said about not creating a sense of self around the uh, accuser, we also don't need to form an identity, identity, a sense of self around being the perpetrator. We just acknowledge that the very specific behavior was not really smart and we are willing to be touched by the pain that we have created in other people. This step is not easy. Yeah, it's unpleasant, but we have to bear with that. We need to acknowledge our own limitations. We need to accept the responsibility for our mistakes. And it is crucial if then we want to move on. And the next step is that we forgive ourselves and we form the intention that from now on, we will avoid repeating the same action. This is a quote by Pema Chudron. There is a simple practice we can do to cultivate forgiveness. First, we acknowledge what we feel, shame, revenge, embarrassment, remorse. Then we forgive ourselves for being human. Then in the spirit of not wallowing in the pain, we let go and make a fresh start. We don't have to carry the burden with us anymore. We will discover forgiveness as a natural expression of the open heart, an expression of our basic goodness. This potential is inherent in every moment. Each moment is an opportunity to make a fresh start. So really from a Dharma perspective, it doesn't make sense to keep carrying around our past faults as parts of our identity. We can always make a fresh start. And the best way to come to terms with our wrongdoings is to use our mistakes as a learning experience. So based on what we can learn from the past, we form a new and a more wholesome intention. And with kindness and with understanding, we simply say, okay, my dear, this was not very clever. That, that was not really uh, intelligent, what you did, what you wrote, what you said, that has created harm. But I have learned from the experience and my wish is to avoid this in the future. Now, for me, in this respect, the story of Angulimala has always been very inspiring. The story of the ruthless serial murderer at the time of the Buddha, who was completely transformed after meeting the Buddha and then became a monk and attained full enlightenment. His story stands for the possibility of complete healing, even after committing atrocities. So the story goes that originally he had been a, in, an intelligent young man called 
Ahimsaka, the harmless one. And he was a favorite student of his teacher, very gifted young man. But out of jealousy, his fellow students wrongly denounced him. They told the teacher that Ahimsaka was plotting against the teacher. And the teacher, after first dismissing these accusations, at some point started to believe them and then created a plan how to get rid of Ahimsaka. So he told his young student, you must bring me a thousand human little fingers of the right hand. This will then be your concluding ceremonial homage to the science you have learned. The teacher's plan was that Ahimsaka would surely be killed in this endeavor. But unfortunately, the young man was quite good at fighting and killing, and he started to terrorize an entire area, indiscriminately killing people and cutting one finger from each victim. Not only that, but he even threaded the finger bones and wore them as a garland. And that's where his new nickname emerged, Angulimala, he with the finger garland. Now, one day Angulimala had reached the number of 999 fingers when his mother was trying to stop him. And the Buddha who was passing through the area saw this with his divine eye and he knew that if Angulimala were to kill even his own mother, this was, would create extremely bad karmic consequences for him. Because, you know, according to the Buddha, killing one's own parents is one of the five worst actions that one can commit. And if one does this after, birth, after death, one goes directly in the lowest hell for eons after eons. Anyway, the Buddha decided to intercept and he started to walk in the direction where Angulimala stayed, in spite of the repeated warnings by the local villagers who tried to stop him. You know, they said, that's very dangerous, don't go there. But there he walks anyway, fearless, calm. And Angulimala sees him and he thinks that from the discourse, it's incredible. It's amazing. People travel along this road only after banding closely together in groups of 10, 20, 30, 40 or 50. Still, they meet their end by my hand. But still, this ascetic comes along alone and unaccompanied, like he had beaten me already. Why don't I take his life? So Angulimala began to approach the Buddha, but, but as it says in the Sutta, but the Buddha used his psychic power to will that Angulimala could not catch up with him, no matter how, how hard he tried, even though the Buddha kept walking at a normal speed. So then Angulimala was totally perplexed, confused. He didn't quite understand what was going on, why he was unable to get close to the Buddha. And then the discourse continues. 
he stood still and said, Stop, stop, ascetic. I've stopped, Angulimala. Now you stop. Then Angulimala thought, These Sakyan ascetics speak the truth. Yet while walking, the ascetic Gautama says, I've stopped, Angulimala. Now you stop. Why don't I ask him about this? Then he addressed the Buddha. While walking ascetic, you say I've stopped. And I have stopped, but you tell me I've not. I'm asking you this ascetic. How is it you have stopped and I have not? And then the Buddha. Angulimala, I have forever stopped. I have led aside violence towards all creatures. But you can't stop yourself from harming living creatures. That's why I have stopped, but you have not. These words of the Buddha must have been incredibly powerful because they woke up Angulimala from his madness, from his completely deluded state. Suddenly he regained clarity and the discourse goes on. Oh, at long last a hermit, a great sage who I honor, has entered this great forest. Now that I have heard your verse on Dhamma, I shall live without evil. With these words, the bandit hurled his sword and weapons down a cliff into an abyss. He venerated the Holy One's feet and asked him for the going forth right away. Then the Buddha, the compassionate, great hermit, the teacher of the world with its gods, said to him, Come, monk. And with that, he became a monk. I find this quite a moving story about forgiveness about compassion and about the possibility of the human heart to wake up from delusion and to choose a new path. With the help of the Buddha, thanks to his immense kindness, compassion and forgiveness, Angulimala was able to break out of his destructive behavior and to make a radical new start. Just think of the kindness that lies in these simple words, come monk. The Buddha didn't make Angulimala pay for his murders. He accepted him into the Sangha on the spot, probably knowing that anyway, he would probably still reap the karmic fruits. So in the following years, even though Angulimala was a monk, it still often happened that people would attack him or refuse to give him food. But he accepted this as a natural consequence of his past deeds. And he focused on getting on with his own practice and he did attain full enlightenment. And after that, he composed some verses from which I want to read to you just the first two tetrads. He who once was heedless, but turned to heedfulness, lights up the world like the moon freed from a cloud. Someone whose bad deed is supplanted by the good 
lights up the world like the moon freed from a cloud. So, well, if even Angulimala, who killed 999 people, was accepted as a monk into the Sangha by the Buddha and became enlightened, I think we should also accept ourselves as we are with our deficiencies and trust that we too, we can walk the path. We can make new choices, better choices. And there are so many reasons to forgive. I hope you have seen this, how through forgiveness we heal wounds. We can mitigate the harm that has been done. We can let go of the past. And also forgiveness as a way to prevent future suffering, because it is the only way to stop those vicious circles of revenge, of this attitude of an eye for an eye. Forgiveness is really such a wonderful gesture of the heart that re-establishes harmony and connection in our relationships. Now, of course, you know, sometimes we are just not in a place where we can forgive someone. We cannot force the mind to forgive, to let go. And the question is, how can we incline the mind in this direction? How can we maybe build a bridge for the mind so that it can at least move a bit more in this direction? One possibility is that we contemplate certain themes or truths that will help the mind to gain a bit of different perspective or to broaden the perspective or to become a bit more soft, a bit more spacious. So the first thing we can contemplate, whether it's about our own wrongdoing or someone else's, is the conditioned nature of wrongful actions. The fact that unskillful actions are always rooted in unskillful mind states that themselves have arisen due to certain causes and conditions. Because everything, without exception, arises due to certain causes and conditions. Also harsh words, violence, destructive behavior. There is a reason for everything that arises. People act in endless stupid ways due to the root poisons of greed, hatred and delusion. And very often they are actually reacting to some pain, to some suffering and then just perpetuating the circle. So, you know, suffering leading to more suffering. As I mentioned, so often we justify or we rationalize unskillful actions ourselves by saying things like, well, they treated me badly, so it is okay for me to make them pay for this. Or, well, I have been suffering so much, so I deserve some treat and then we overeat or overspend. So really to see the conditionality behind unskillful actions. Tara Brock tells the story of the dog with the leg in the trap, which I find a very nice simile. Imagine you are walking through the woods and you see a small dog. 
You think the dog is cute and you approach the dog, wanting to pet it. It suddenly snarls and tries to bite you. The dog no longer seems cute and you may feel some fear and anger. As the wind blows, the leaves on the ground are carried away and you see the dog has one of its legs caught in a trap. Now you feel compassion for the dog. You know it became aggressive because it is in pain and suffering. You go from being angry to this poor thing. So if we cannot see it in others, we can for sure see it in our own mind. How much we are impacted when our leg is caught in a trap, isn't it? How we are impacted by circumstances, by the events in our life even by the weather, yeah, or by a deep unfulfilled need, by a frustration. This all can make us much more likely to act in unwholesome ways. So when we really understand that unskillful actions arise out of certain circumstances, we can be more understanding, we can have more empathy, we can have more compassion. You know, with other people, so often there are things that we are just not aware of. Invisible pain, invisible suffering, circumstances that we just don't know about that make people act the way they act. So reflecting on this, reflecting on all the many conditions that lead to unskillful actions can help us to recognize our commonality and to maybe move towards forgiveness. And also, when we consider the possible causes and conditions that might be at work, it naturally makes us take it less personal to see the impersonal chain of cause and effect just playing out, you know. And if we take this contemplation of conditionality even further, it is the pathway into seeing the emptiness of both the perpetrator and the victim. From a deeper perspective, there is not a fixed perpetrator. There is no person who is inherently and constantly and forever and exclusively a perpetrator, always doing you know, harmful things from the moment of their birth until their death. And also, there is no person who is a fixed victim. No one is always and forever a victim. So emptiness, seeing emptiness means that we see the condition, situational nature of the roles of the aggressor, the perpetrator and the victim. And this can help us to be more forgiving. Life is such a dynamic game and I find myself in changing roles and positions depending on my own actions and the actions of others. So nothing is fixed and we are not fixed. And this is also why the Buddha was able to say to Angulimala, come monk. So every moment is a new chance to make a better choice. And it is just nothing then a waste of energy to brood endlessly about the past. 
we rather want to bring our energy and our attention to making this moment better. Okay, so contemplating the conditioned nature of unskillful behavior as one doorway into forgiveness. The second contemplation that can soften our heart and open it to forgiveness is the contemplation on impermanence, mortality. Reflecting on our own mortality and that of others. And then it becomes so obvious that holding on to a grudge or a resentment is so absolutely pointless. Somehow, in the face of death that we will all experience, maybe soon, maybe in a while, our perspective changes radically and the conflicts we may have had with other people or our own worries can seem rather minor, relatively insignificant. And we see that both the perpetrator and the victim are going to experience the same fate. They are going to die. So, in the light of the existential fact that we are going to die, we can get a sense of shared humanity, of shared human plight. No matter how mighty and powerful someone is, how powerless, how smart, how stupid, how privileged, how underprivileged, we all are going to die. So the question is, do we really want to die after having spent our life quarreling, fighting, being full of anger, resentment? Is that worth it? Wouldn't it be more desirable to spend our time in a more pleasant and easeful way with more joy, happiness, ease? So remembering our mortality expands our view so that we can see uh, a difficult situation in a much bigger context of life and death and, and put a conflict, a painful situation into perspective. In the light of impermanence, in the light of mortality, what is maybe more important than winning in a conflict? What is maybe more important than being right? What is maybe more important than, you know, showing the other person that we were hurt and then finding a revenge. Maybe we, we realize that what would be more important is kindness, to stay in a good connection, to take care of each other, to be compassionate with each other. And the third contemplation is the contemplation of the path and our own potential the potential of all sentient beings to attain liberation. In later Buddhist traditions, this idea arose that all sentient beings are endowed with Buddha nature. You know, that all beings have the potential to wake up from delusion, confusion. And even if this concept doesn't maybe mean very much to you, in any case, it still points to the fact that this human heart-mind, the citta, it can be liberated. And this is the whole point of Dharma practice. And of course, I know when we see the state of the world, 
we have every reason to be skeptical about humanity. Yeah. But at the same time, when we do the practice, we do see the possibility of inner change. We can develop the confidence that goodness is possible. Healing is possible. Waking up is possible. And this confidence is so important when we feel low because of guilt or shame that we don't fall into the trap of thinking, well, I'm a hopeless case. I am inherently, fundamentally bad, evil, incapable. If you notice such thoughts, please don't believe them. Yeah, they are just a manifestation of delusion. And as the story of Angulimala shows, even someone who had fallen into extreme evilness was able to turn around. Even in him, there was this seed of goodness. And so we can always trust that in every being, even those who are mean, who are aggressive, complete idiots, you know, even in us, there is this potential, there is this possibility. The Buddha would, have, would not have taught had he not known about the potential of the human heart. So contem contemplating potential goodness in ourselves, in others, so that we can balance our view, not just seeing the faults, the deficiencies, and really develop the confidence that we don't need to repeat our mistakes, that we can choose differently and we can grow towards more freedom. Okay, so we have these three contemplations, the contemplation of conditionality, the contemplation of mortality and the contemplation of our potential of liberation that can maybe help us to let go of feelings of resentment. And as I said, you know, sometimes this process takes time. We cannot ju just do it, you know, just by deciding I'm going to forgive. Sometimes we need to give the heart and the mind the time it takes to grow around and over a wound. Maybe we need to go through different stages. First, there is a lot of rage or anger or grief, whatever, before we can forgive someone or forgive ourselves. But as I said, even if it is not possible today to forgive, we can still form the wish and the intention that one day in the future, we might be able to forgive. So this is how we seed, we sow the seed of forgiveness. In any case, it is really important to understand that forgiveness is a practice. It is a spiritual practice that transforms our heart, that releases it from being caught. And the more we practice it, the easier it gets. So we might begin with minor things, use the small, you know, annoying experiences in daily life as opportunity to practice forgiveness. Maybe someone forgot to close the door or turn off the lights or so. See if you can use those small incidents to forgive. 
and then gradually you know we can take on the heavier stuff sometimes you know there are also things we can do we can enact forgiveness in a way sometimes people say that by giving a gift to a person who has hurt them that helps them to overcome the resentment or many years ago a old wise woman told me that when she feels a lot of anger about someone she turns on a candle she lights a candle for this person as long as she still has the feelings of hurt of resentment and someday maybe she realizes oh the resentment has gone it has dissolved so really seeing forgiveness as a practice really choosing forgiveness out of wisdom out of compassion because we don't want to continue these endless you know sequences of hatred anger revenge for our own sake but also for the sake of others so stopping these destructive cycles of anger blame judgment and this is really the path to peace i would like to end with a quote from the buddha one who repays an angry person with anger thereby makes things worse for himself not repaying an angry person with anger one wins a battle hard to win one practices for the welfare of both one's own and the others when knowing that one's foe is angry one mindfully maintains one's peace so let us sit in silence for a moment one who repays an angry person with anger thereby makes things worse for himself not repaying an angry person with anger one wins a battle hard to win one practices for the welfare of both one's own and the others when knowing that one's foe is angry one mindfully maintains one's peace. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.